Uh, welcome everybody to the OnChain Alpha podcast, where we explore the world of on-chain data. We're unpacking valuable insights, novel applications of on-chain data together with the people who are building this future, the data infrastructure, analytic platforms. They're writing your favorite threads and articles. Make sure you sign up to our newsletter. It's going to be linked to the description below. It's also at cryptosapiens.xyz. Thank you to the people who make this possible, Mosaic Drops, The Optimism Collective, and Bankless DAO. Today, we're talking to Rish from Nainar. I mean, honestly, if you're at all at Farcaster, in Farcaster, aware of Farcaster, Nainar and Rish do not need an introduction, but we're going to do one anyways for anybody who does, doesn't know who uh, Rish is or what Nainar is. Um, so get out from under that rock. Uh, Rish, why don't you introduce yourself to us? Um, tell us what is Nainar and kind of how you got started with that. Yeah, Nainar today is a infrastructure provider for developers on Farcaster. Um, we started with running hubs as a service. Um, now we provide read and write APIs, uh, signer management if you're writing to the protocol, um, hosted SQL databases, playgrounds, um, and obviously the nodes that we started with. Um, we are also now providing some consumer side tools where a couple of weeks ago we launched a frame studio where you can come in and build frames with no code. Um, and that's an exciting um, area where we'll continue to do more in. Um, yeah, and we started uh, July 2023. And so we are just about to get into a year's worth of work later this year. That's amazing. Honestly, so uh, that that's a nice little brief intro, right? Uh, about you know who you are and what you're doing there. But really, there's just so much impact, I think, to what Nainar brings to the Farcaster developer ecosystem. You mentioned one thing right at the start, and that's like hubs as a service. Can you just, for anybody who doesn't even know what a hub is, uh, yeah. describe what that is, uh, its importance to the Farcaster ecosystem, and why Nainar providing this as a service is also uh, as important? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for folks who are familiar with blockchains, um, hubs are somewhat similar to nodes. They're not exactly the same as a node, but somewhat similar to a node um, in a sense that um, the network is kept up um, by this like network of hubs, essentially, where hubs can independently come in and out, go up or down, but you can get the state of the network from the hubs available on the network at that time. And what this does is that instead of having a centralized provider, um, that would serve all this data to the application layer. So which is true for like, you know, Web2 applications like Twitter or Facebook, you now have this decentralized network of hub operators um, where you can get the data of the network from any of these hubs. So if you are an application builder today, you don't have to rely on Merkle that builds the Warcast app um, to provide all the data. You can independently spin up a hub and get all the data yourself and start running your application. Um, so it's a, it makes it a permissionless system. Hubs launched about a year ago last year, um, or even less than a year ago, I think. Um, and since then, we now have hundreds of hubs operating across the globe. And when we started doing this in the summer of last year, hubs had just come out and it took a bunch of time to set up one and get it synced. Um, some of that is still true today due to different reasons. Um, but back then, there was just not a lot of infrastructure available to do this. 
And we were building an app for which we had started running our own hub and indexer and started building APIs on top. And so as an experiment, we kind of threw out this idea of like, hey, if anybody else wants to use the same infrastructure, um, we are now ready to provide it. You can pay and start getting access to it. And people started paying us within the first few hours of this website going live. Um, and so we were like, okay, there's some demand for this. And so what we started doing is that we would run multiple hubs on our side and we just give access to the people who paid and they wouldn't have to run their own hub and they could use ours. Um, obviously, similar analogy exists in both crypto and Web2, where AWS runs the servers for you. You don't have to maintain your own machines. Um, Alchemy and Infura run Ethereum nodes for you. You don't have to run it yourself. And so it was sort of a similar idea. Um, since then, we have branched into a few different products and that is just how we got started. Um, even today, like as the network traffic has grown, um, running hubs has a few different set of challenges. It's become more intensive to run one, so you need larger cloud machines, um, which has a cost associated with it. Um, on our side, you can go and get a hub uh, link for like $9 a month, but to run your own, um, you have to pay like $100 or more per month, um, and the cost will keep growing as the network traffic scales. And secondly, also during the time of like huge traffic, in, like huge incoming traffic, the networks gets unstable. So somebody has to like manage it, maintain it, upgrade the hubs, make sure they restart on time and all of that. And if you're an application level developer, you probably don't want to be spending all this time on maintaining the network. Um, so we kind of abstract that away from you and hopefully you don't need to worry about it at all. Um, enthusiasts, of course, run their own hubs still and they're an important part of the ecosystem. Um, and we expect that the diverse network of hub operators will keep growing over time. Yeah, that, that, thank you so much. That's a really comprehensive uh, response to that. And I think pretty clear. Um, so question in terms of hubs compared to maybe something that a Web2 uh, social user aficionado would be more familiar with, something like Mastodon and Federated Networks. How does Farcaster and Hubs compare to that? Like, is there a parallel? Yeah, there's some similarities and some differences. And, you know, I say this with a caveat of like somebody better versed in Mastodon can maybe come correct what I say. Um, but my understanding of Mastodon is that it is a federated network, but each hub, each server in itself, they don't call them hubs, each server in itself is its like own thing. So you join a server um, and that server can go down and you are out. Um, you can go join a different server, but that's a totally different server. And the data across the servers is not the same. Each server is it's like its own little house and you're either part of this house. And if your house goes down, you have to go find a new house. Um, what happens in case of uh, Farcaster is that these are not independent data sources. Um, the data is consistent or eventually consistent across all the hubs in the network. So when your hub goes down, you can go to another hub and get access to pretty much the same data. Um, and so it's a slightly different model of operating the network. Interesting. So the distribution um, or decentralization, if you will, um, it's at the network level, but there's still some distinction in terms of the way that people can access and participate in the network. Whereas with Farcaster, both the protocol and almost like a sub app layer is operating, um, you know, so, uh, you know, basically on the, on the same wavelength. Uh, but there is a way to distribute or decentralize 
some of that infrastructure and that is through hubs, which anybody can run. And obviously, um, you know, with Nainar, you can abstract away that infrastructure and allow people to play around with things that are necessary uh, to build on Farcaster without having to run it yourself. Um, So, I mean, why are you, I mean, this is a very subjective thing, right? So why are you personally excited about Farcaster? Because I've seen Nainar, like you said, go from building something for themselves to scaling that out to becoming a service for all of the Farcaster ecosystem. I think I recently read either a tweet or a, a cast, uh, most likely a cast, because I'm uh, on Farcaster more than I am on Twitter these days. I'm very happy to say that. I, I, it, the flippening happened a few weeks ago, maybe a few months ago now. Um, and so that cast said something to the like of like, we're doubling down on, you know, like the work that we're doing on Farcaster and building out Nanar. Like, why are you so bullish on Farcaster? Yeah, great question. Um, so mine and I, we before working full-time on Nainar, we spent the last four, four and a half years at Coinbase. Um, and we had been sort of intimately familiar with the work happening in the Web3 decentralized social space. We had been working with many teams pre-Farcaster um, that were building in this space. We had studied the different protocols that had come in. And um, every time like we would go through this exercise, we would find a few things that would excite us and a few things that would give us some concern about how the protocols would scale or how things would move on chain. There was this like notion pre-Farcaster that everything needs to be on chain. Um, and we uh, kind of expected scaling issues with that, cost issues with that. Um, and so when the first uh, sort of plan for Farcaster came about, because they have decentralized in stages, uh, when the first plan came about, we like I remember reading the plan and we were like, oh, this plan actually makes sense. Like we, this can scale a lot better um, while decentralizing um, without having to like, you know, go through the same issues that the previous things we read. And this was like back in 2021. Like I remember we got onboarded to Farcaster like September or October 2021, back when they were still building it out. Um, and we kind of immediately liked the way that the protocol was being built. And so we've been like, we were active users for like two years ish um, before we started actually building out products on top of the protocol. And then when we started building our products on top of the protocol, the protocol had already started decentralizing by then. The hubs had come out, it it was a little um, intensive to run them, but they were out there and you could run them if you wanted. Um, And we had been playing around with hubs and indexers on our side. And then we kind of, like I said, just threw out that experiment and it kind of started catching on. Um, And we were like, oh, this is interesting. Like there's like um, a lot of developer activity on Farcaster, which was something we already kind of knew, but we just hadn't like fully processed um, because Dan had, and like Dan and Vern had been very thoughtful about building the right community. And, you know, we were part of the same developer community. Like we were playing around with Farcaster just like everybody else was. And when people were interested in using the infrastructure to like make their development easier, we were like, oh, okay, we can serve like a clear need here. It's a very niche, or it was at least a very niche need back in the day. Um, but, you know, we, we had been excited about the protocol for so long. We were like, okay, yeah, let's just go serve that need. And then we'll see what happens. Um, and yeah, so I think since then the protocol has grown. Um, we have managed to scale a little bit along with it. Um, we are still small and you know, for even Farcaster is still small in the grand scheme of things. Like we were talking about like 50,000 DAUs, the last number Dan shared and Facebook shares like 3 billion DAUs in their um, earnings reports. Um, so a huge long way to go still. Um, 
but I think like there's something happening here and we are excited about it. Yeah, I mean, I would love to say that I am like super early, but my fit, the fit, your fit don't lie. Like that should be a, me a meme, right? Like your fit don't lie. It'll tell you when you came into the ecosystem. I'm proud that I'm like sub 10K. Like for me, that's already like a, a, a monumental achievement. Uh, but I've seen some friends of mine who are sub 1K and I'm like, how, wait, how did you like find out about Farcaster for me? Because I do consider myself a bit of a sleuth when it comes to like, you know, new protocols, especially on the social level, because personally, I'll tell you why I'm bullish. For me, why I'm bullish on Farcaster, I think the future of crypto and really the way that we do accelerate adoption is social. I've had people come on here and tell me that it's DeFi. Um, but, you know, I mean, if you really look at the things that have driven a lot of the attention to crypto so far, they have been social. I mean, I think NFTs themselves, their popularity in, you know, in 2001, or oh my gosh, what am I talking about? In 2021, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really wanting this to go further back than it really did. 2021 um, was due to the fact that there was some so social element to it. Like putting it as your PFP was a huge kind of like uh, use case for a lot of NFTs, uh, the monkey NFTs specifically. Uh, so I think that there is something super, um, you know, humanistic about social experiences. And if anybody's going to care about crypto, it's going to be through its social ex experiences and applications. So I think Farcaster is how you red pill, right? People into like uh, using crypto. And one of the things that I like about Farcaster compared to maybe some other decentralized social networks is that it, it isn't so crypto forward, right? Like it is very subtle in the way that it uses crypto. And I think that that is super powerful because most people... Uh, and I, you know, I have family members who have pilled into use into buying in and using some level of crypto applications, who could care less about like seed phrases and privacy or uh, security, and you know, they really just want to open it up the way they would traditionally, uh, you know, any other application. So I think that that is just kind of one of the reasons why I'm so excited for it. Um, you know, I wanted to touch on this thing just because. I don't think I, I mean, I've had a few of the previous Coinbase uh, members uh, who have gone on to build applications, uh, you know, with uh, Dan included, but I never really asked this question. So I wonder if you want to take this on. What are your thoughts about that group of folks that are coming out of Coinbase and are building kind of these like really important tools and protocols uh, in the ecosystem? What makes that experience at Coinbase so special? for them to come out and really think about some problems. But let's talk about it more on the consumer side of things. I mean, I think Coinbase is a special place to work at and there's some like great talented people. Um, Manan and I have always been inspired by the kind of things that were built at Coinbase and also by people who left and built their own things outside of Coinbase. Um, Dan and Varun being one of them, um, like uh, Jacob and Zora building something great. Um, even within Coinbase, like Jesse building base, like it's um, it's part of Coinbase, but I think it's like the same same mentality. Um, and I think some great products have come out from, and I'm probably missing a whole lot of people in this list, but um, like I, I I respect all the work everybody's done here, and we we admire um, and have been inspired by the work in the space. Um, I think within Coinbase, like Brian is just a great leader and very level headed, very like calm during these moments of like 
uh, when things go up and down. And so much has happened in crypto over the last four years, if you think about it. Um, and Brian Armstrong just keeps chugging along. And he has always had this like super long term thinking of what will make a company successful in this space. And we are seeing that play out. And I think we'll continue to see that play out. So I think Coinbase leadership has been pretty inspirational from that perspective. And I think um, building within the company with these kind of people allowed us to like get a sense of like what it takes to build a good company in this space. And even if you look at Forecaster, for example, you can see um, like the sort of level headedness that permeates the, you know, Coinbase builder ecosystem, if you will. Um, and we kind of aspire to be the same kind of builders where um, we work through the noise and we provide the value where it's needed and are building a long-term generational company, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I have probably onboarded the people that I've onboarded from my family to crypto have come by way of Coinbase. So, you know, and but what I mean by that is like they're they're buying into the, you know, token market, like BTC, ETH, so on. It's really interesting to see the level of accessibility, but probably more so UX, that Coinbase has done really well. Um, and I feel that when I look at the products that are being built by the, you know, uh, graduates, if you will, of Coinbase, like yourself, like Dan, like Jacob. So that that's, that's a really good point. Um, and I think it can't be emphasized enough. Less so making this about Coinbase, more so about setting a tone as leaders in the industry in terms of like the things that are important and valuable to grow this in a meaningful way. So that that's really great to hear. I wonder if you could... Ex- share a little bit of your experience as an app developer, because you talked about going from app developer to infrastructure builder, <clears throat> excuse me, on Farcaster with Nanar. What is it from, a, from an app developer perspective? And maybe we can frame this more so from the permission, sufficiently, per, sufficiently decentralized. I think that's kind of like Dan's uh, language for Farcaster, uh, or at least the Farcaster's team's language for Farcaster. As an app developer, how is that appealing? How is that different? Um, maybe even what restrictions, if there's like maybe not always a, a good thing in terms of building on an ecosystem like that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I one, I should caveat, I am a moonlighting developer. Like <laughs> I, I studied computer science and then I did a lot of like non-development work in the product side of things. And now I am back to being a half-time developer for the company, essentially. Um, but I have never uh, been in the space of where I built a full product and then the APIs got run or something, which is what like the developers of Reddit and Twitter have been facing. I truly empathize and understand the problem, though, but have been fortunate of like not, not being um, the victim of that. Um, I think what we found interesting when we were building our app is because we were testing with Farcaster, we like we just wanted to like build a simple app and test with users on Farcaster. It seemed like the most intuitive thing to do, where we knew people were testing each other's products, and we were like, oh, let's just like use them as our alpha user base. Um, one of the key things that we could just do is like we didn't have to rely on Dan or Varun or Merkel or anybody um, to give us that data. Um, we could just run our own hub, and we could decide what data to pull. 
and we could build the app the way we wanted. There was no API dependency. There was no like, we didn't have to pay them and so on. Um, now, we could have in this, like if they had those APIs, we could have used it and we could have like figured out how to pay them. Um, but I think just having that independence allowed us to like both move quicker because we didn't have to wait for them to launch a certain set of APIs. We could just build it ourselves. Um, and it gave us a level of independence that we kind of weren't like, you know, beholden to another organization. Um, and I think that is both underrated generally um, because most people don't think about being deplatformed unless you actually are deplatformed. Um, and, you know, I myself have probably been guilty of that more often than not. Um, but I think what is more underrated is the velocity that can come um, when you are trying to build something new. And if something's not available, then if it's fully permissionless, you can just build it. And assuming it can be built quickly, like in these cases, we were just talking about some simple APIs, um, you can just run your hub and build it and get started with your product instead of like having an idea, but now being blocked by somebody else. And I think that piece is not talked about enough. And that actually gave us some, not just leeway, but also some insights that allowed us to then move in this direction over time. Yeah, that's great. Um, I wonder if you can talk about, and maybe you've already kind of said everything that can be said about it, but like if there's anything else left unsaid in terms of like how these traditional WAP2 APIs can rug someone compared to like maybe using something like hubs on Farcaster, like dip, uh, make that distinction clear. Um, yeah. And kind of the value proposition to then doing that through Nainar, right? Because we do want to connect this to what Nainar is yeah. doing for the community. Absolutely. Um, I think to your first question around difference between Web2 being rugged versus not. So there, there's like two kinds of being rugged. One is like the company can just shut down the APIs, which I think Facebook has done a few times uh, over the years, where they have a certain set of APIs and you can go build like a game on Facebook or like something else. Um, and then they'll just shut down those APIs. Now, in some, like I was at Facebook uh, like many years ago, and in, in some cases, like, you know, they have their reason, of, like some arguments for it, like, hey, people misuse these APIs for Cambridge Analytica and so on and so forth. Um, but, you know, there's still a large number of developers who didn't misuse it, but are now falling victim to the same issue where the APIs now, now get taken away. So there's that kind of rugging. And then there's a different kind where, um, uh, the organization can dramatically increase the pricing for those APIs, which is what like Twitter and in some cases Reddit did, where now instead of paying them like $2,000 a month, you need to pay them $20,000, $200,000 a month. And obviously for an independent developer or even a small company, that's not something that's sustainable. So your app is effectively dead because even though the APIs are available, they are now supremely expensive and the data, you can't get the data in any other shape or form. So what having a hub allows you to do is like, there is a standard price you can get this data at. Obviously, you have to put in some work, but at some point, the work will be easier than paying $200,000. And so you can just come in and do the work and get this API or this data at a standard price. Um, the way it works with Nainar today is like, we offer this cheaper than running the hub would. And if you are a large organization that's taking in a large volume of data at like, you know, super low latency, like um, very like performant and stuff like that, then you have to like stand up a certain infrastructure um, that allows you to do this at scale. And we will do this for you. So not only will this data be available, it'll be available in a way that suits your specific needs. And we serve some enterprises like that today. And you, you won't have to do the work for it. And obviously we charge a little premium for that because we are not only serving you the data, but we're also doing the management for it. Um, but it's a fair trade. And um, 
the thing to note here is that anybody can build a company that we build today. Um, it's like built on open infrastructure. Just like there's more than one RPC provider on Ethereum, anybody can build an RPC provider today. Uh, you can build a data provider on top of Farcaster infrastructure, um, and you don't have to be dependent on Nana. So not only can you run your own hub, you can just go choose a different provider if at any point you are unsatisfied with the kind of services we provide. Um, and I think that is a key distinction between like the way Farcaster and other Web3 protocols are built versus like building on Facebook, Reddit, or Twitter. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, I, again, you, you, I, you're, you're, you're opening up new pathways for this conversation, right? So one of the things you just said that for me is like, obviously that's like the premise of OnChain Alpha too. We're talking about like, what are the opportunities that data provides, um, you know, especially Web3 data provides developers, users, what new opportunities are opened up through that? What are some of the things that you think are opportunities you think are available now through the data that is usable on Farcaster or the new data that is maybe starting to become available because of new applications like frames that are being built on top of Farcaster? Yeah, I mean, there's just so much cool stuff that can be built these days. Like half the time people build things using Nanar that I just hadn't thought of at all and it blows my mind. Um, like a couple of days ago, Ted launched a frame that had audio in the background and you had a whole storytelling narrative and it had GIFs in it. Um, and, you know, like looking at it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess you can do that with our frame studio. But it's not something I would have thought of. Um, so people are building like really interesting things. Like I think there's another frame that Sheldon built a little while ago that had a full game in it. And you can like play the game inside the frame and um, their frame went viral for a little bit um, and we could see it in like our traffic logs. Um, so people are building all kinds of interesting things. Um, on the application layer, I think we have a few different applications being like Supercast, for example, goes um, a little crazy every time Warpcast goes down because all the people move over to Supercast. And I think um, Wojtek has been like consistently pushing along the Supercast boat for a while now. And I think it's both a good client where you have some features that are not available on Warpcast today, um, but it's also like a client you can depend on for people who use Warpcast as their main client, which is like almost every user. But now you have client diversity. So if, if Warpcast goes down, then you can still use another client to like keep in touch with whoever you're keeping in touch with. Um, and so I think there's like a few different applications today that are happening. Um, Zora, for example, like I, I don't know if you've seen, they have two use cases. They have a Zora bot that you can follow and it puts interesting feeds, uh, uh, interesting mints on your feed and you can just like mint them directly from, from your feed. And they obviously have the frame um, where a, every time you put in a Zora URL uh, and throw it out as a cast, it automatically generates a frame and you can like mint it uh, right from your feed. Um, these are also services um, that I think are, you know, small mini services um, in the grand scheme of things, but are actually meaningful user experience improvements. And I think we'll continue to see more of that uh, from other people on the protocol. Yeah, I think that there's, th those are wonderful experiences, by the way. I'll, I'll, t I'll speak to the Zora thing, because I know I certainly, uh, Zora frames, I should say, um, because I personally have been minting um, these episodes, the shorts of these episodes yep. on Zora, always experimenting with different uh, social platforms, but more importantly, more on-chain uh, distribution platforms. Yeah, uh, And it's been really great to see how easy they've made it to 
distribute this directly through a frame. So uh, yeah, that that's really wonderful to see. Today, I think it was today, if not like last night, someone casted um, that they're a little tired of seeing the NFT strategy uh, that has existed on Web2 platforms continue on something like Farcaster, where it's like, hold this NFT, get this uh, other NFT, right? Like you're eligible now. Because there is yeah. such rich user data through the yeah. social interactions that are made possible through, you know, kind of this, this the Farcaster hubs and main, main our APIs. What yeah. are some of the social interactions you think would be really interesting to capture uh, for maybe a similar uh, NFT uh, as experience using, you know, Nainar, for instance? Um, I mean, you, using Nainar, I, I guess we can get to that in the second half, but I agree with you that there's actually some interesting stuff happening already with NFTs that was previously missing in the prior NFT wave. Um, so if you've looked at like non-linears fabric, um, where they allow hyper subs, or um, which are essentially subscriptions to an artist, but they but they call them hyper subs, which I think is a cool name. Um, and you essentially end up holding an NFT uh, that has a certain number of months of your subscription, um, and you get access to different things that that artist might provide. And it can, in some cases, it's more NFTs. In other cases, it's access to like other kinds of in real life experiences or digital experiences, could be meetings, could be group chats. Um, and I, I've seen artists use this in different ways um, where you can come in and like hold a hyper sub NFT for their artist um, and have different experiences based on what they're, what they're sharing, um, which I think is a pretty cool way of bringing creator subscriptions on chain. And because the subscription is an NFT, you now automatically broadcast that um, to the rest of your friends and social population so that other people can find it. I think they've done a good job with like the reward system where like if you share that subscription, somebody else buys it, you get some ETH back and so on. Um, and I think Zora, for example, also did a great job with like their reward system where like the more like you mint or if you are the first minter or creator and the way you share and the refer URLs, I think that's well done on the Zora network. So I generally think like, NFTs are evolving from the simple like hold this NFT to get something else to like a more um, established data type. Essentially, in the end, it's it's like a data type, and you can check for that data type and do uh, other things with it. Um, and um, they are becoming sort of like this IP slash provenance mechanism um, where you can have your IP on chain in some ways. Um, things you can do with Nainar today with NFTs, like right now, we are not a very NFT company. We are still like a forecaster company. So I think the simplest things you can do is like you can make frames that have uh, an NFT URL and we'll let you like post the frame with no code and you can mint the frame with warps on Warpcast. And if you don't have warps, it like throws you out and like you can go mint it with ETH. Um, we don't really yet have features that allow you to like NFT gate or that kind of things. Um, we actually, uh, funnily enough, tried some NFT experiments um, last year, and they didn't do as well, or at least as well as our Farcaster-related experiments. Um, so we stayed on the track with Farcaster, and that's what we kept providing. Maybe we'll do more stuff with NFTs in the future, um, TBD on that. Yeah, no, that's great. I guess my question was less so on, like, how can you do this, with, uh, I guess, um, issue NFTs on Nainar, more so on, like, the data, the social data that you're seeing um, 
you know, through Nainar that's being utilized, what are some of the more interesting interactions that you're seeing that people are leveraging, um, you know, for, I guess, gating or permissioning certain access, yeah. even NFTs? I think Zora, for example, just launched gating based on your photograph, um, based on like active badges, things like that. And I expect that to be like a more of a norm over time, um, where just the active badge, for example, is a good way to like keep out like spammers and bots and so on, where it's now like a proof of work, essentially, where you've done some work on a certain protocol. And because it's a permissionless protocol, you can take that and apply the same proof of work on a different protocol. Um, and so it's like the Zora chain using the active badge proof of work from Warcat or Farcaster and then um, adding that to their mint gating. And I think we'll see more of that over time. You uh, Social graphs is something that has always been on the back of my mind. Um, so I come from, at least for the last two plus years, working in the decentralized identity space. Um, I've had the privilege of working with a lot of really interesting, cool companies that are at the forefront of digital identity. Um, you know, Bright ID for the longest time was kind of building this like uh, digital identity social graph um, that enabled you to permission uh, certain folks, um, you know, in your social graph to even allow for like um, recovering accounts, for instance, right? So like if my wife and I have uh, are on, the, on that social graph and I know her and I trust her, obviously, she is one of the few people that can allow me to unlock an account if for some reason, yeah. um, you know, I lose access to it. Um, then another company like Coordinate came around and they were basically doing peer-to-peer -peer payments, um, you know, or gifting uh, out of like a pool of funds um, that would then give you funding retroactively, which I thought was really interesting. And their social graph uh, was very rich uh, and very interesting, I think, uh, because I think peer-to-peer -peer payments is a really interesting uh, use case. Um, but, you know, Web3 social, pff, to me, it's like you go from like this opportunity to like that opportunity to like almost infinite, right? Because now you have all of these different social applications being built on top of the protocol too, right? which give the social data a lot more nuance, right? And I think that that's probably what was missing also on some of these social graphs. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm personally very excited for that. Um, talk to me about, because we've briefly touched on it, frames. Like, mm -hmm. how has that revolutionized Farcaster, Web3 Social, and how is Frame, Frame Studio kind of positioned, and I, you've talked a little bit about, about it already, but maybe expand on it, to facilitating that? And how do you see that evolving in the future too? Yeah, um, that's a lot of questions in one. So maybe, maybe you'll have to repeat some of the latter questions as I, as I answer the former ones. Um, so how has Frame like changed things or revolutionized things? I think, you know, the, the general idea of um, embedding some kind of activity is, is not a, a net new idea in the sense like the concept of widgets has been around for some time and like Facebook used to allow things like these and you could come in and play a mini game in other shapes and forms. I think what has changed now is one, this is an open permissionless format. Um, so Supercast, for example, allows you to make frames, interact with frames, um, and you don't have to depend on Workcast or Markle Manufactory at all. Um, it's already open across the board. Um, and separately, there's this concept of like uh, the signatures, the signed web, essentially, where all Web2 data, you had to like 
depend on this organization to know whether that was good data or not, and uh, whether it was being vaunted or spammed, and every once in a while they'd get it wrong. Um, on frames, what happens is every interaction on a frame generates a signature, and you can validate that signature against hubs. And now you know whether to trust that data or not, and it'll tell you which user is actually a bot and which user is actually a user, and you can kind of separate this data out. Um, and that thing is net new, where you can now launch a frame on Supercast and you can validate every button tap interaction or every text input interaction um, and uh, the signature it generates against a hub and be like, oh, this is the actual interactions my frame got and these are all the garbage interactions. And all of this can happen without Workcast or Merkle in the picture at all. And so I think that is a net new concept that allows you to build interesting things yourself without dependencies and also allows you to capture like the right signatures so you know, especially in this world of like AI bots and all this kind of stuff, it allows you to separate the right kind of signals from the wrong, like the wrong kind of signals. And so I think that is the real innovation here, uh, which I'm very excited about. And how it changed things for us, like I think frames obviously went viral for like a couple of weeks in between. Like there's still obviously a lot of frame activity, but it's died down a little bit from the in between two weeks. Um, and during those two weeks, like uh, we our frame APIs became, I think some of them still are, like our most used APIs. Like frames came out, we launched APIs to support them, and we weren't expecting them to like 10x our, like our other APIs. Um, and so they like meaningfully increased traffic on their own. Um, and we had to like, as a result, like spend time improving our infrastructure, adding resiliency. We were still doing a lot of that work in February is kind of like our, like we had to just take on a lot of infra work to handle that added volume that came in. Um, Frame Studio, I think one of the things we wanted to experiment with was both like, one of the things we had noticed is like, Hosting frames is a pain, kind of, um, where if you're a developer, um, you have to like go to Vercel, set up the hosting, um, set up all the frame stuff, and then you come back and you use our APIs to like validate the frame, essentially. Um, and we had APIs for that, um, like the validate API existed already, but the hosting work is a lot of work, not only if you're not a developer, but even if you are a developer. And it's usually slow and painful. Like Varun, for example, posted a cast yesterday, which was like the top frame servers um, by how quickly they serve data. And Nainar is like by far the speediest server. Like the next speediest server is like takes 2x our time. And this was one of the key things we were looking at before. We were like, hey, frames need to execute fast. And it needs like a slightly different infrastructure stack than what might be like the most intuitive stack you can think of. And obviously the most intuitive stack is like a front end heavy Vercel stack. And so we started spinning up our backend stack and then we were like, oh, what if we add like a front end studio on top where if you aren't a developer, you can come build some frames quickly. Now our front end studio is actually like, in some ways it does a lot and in other ways we still have so much work to do. Like people keep asking us for new features like throughout the day, every day, and we are struggling to keep up with that. Um, and so there's a lot more to come there, um, but it's like a very MVP. We launched it a couple of weeks ago just to test the waters. And it allows like, you know, my wife built a frame yesterday about a journey to Alaska um, where we spend some time in like Katmai National Park camping. And now it's in a frame that's super responsive. You can just go through and like see the story. Um, Ted obviously made the frames that she shared before. 
And these are just like time consuming things to do via writing code. And we were excited to like enable creators to do this more quickly. Um, we will have a lot more here for developers. I think Varun kind of hinted at the kind of things we can do for developers uh, when he talked about that latency in that cast yesterday. Um, we have some things in the pipeline that'll actually help developers like make frames that are hopefully 10x better than the frames that they're hosting themselves today. Um, so yeah, a lot, lot more to come there in the next couple of weeks. That's, excuse me, that's very exciting. Um, I love to hear of the, uh, I guess, experience of having to scale something that may not necessarily be part of the core product, right? Um, but that quickly has allowed for new visibility of, you know, Nanar, but also increased use of Nanar as well. That's, that's always really exciting. And, you know, as a founder myself, uh, building a SaaS product, I, I, I can share the excitement. I guess I, I, I can feel that like in terms of like the value proposition being validated, but also like these new opportunities that are growing alongside with it. Um, what are some of the experiments that you would love to see on Frame Studio? Like, let's not be constrained by the current studio today, but like maybe looking forward. And because this space moves so quickly, I won't even project a year. I'll say like in the next six months. Um, what are some of the things you'd be like, you know what I'd really love to see someone build on Frame Studio? What are, what are some of those things that you think would be really interesting and novel? Um, so these things, to your point, they don't exist on Frame Studio yet because we haven't expanded the cap like the capabilities of the studio. But I think things I'm excited about is kind of a hybrid between no code and fully code, um, where there's this like middle spectrum, and maybe I'm excited about it because that's where I kind of fall, where I don't want to write a bunch of like boilerplate co code, but there are some things I do want to do with code that you know are, are hard to do without it, um, where you can set up a simple frame. Um, on the studio, just like you can today. Um, but you can now pass data between frames, um, where let's say the simple frame you can launch with Frame Studio today is like you can take a text input, and let's say you're asking for email or whatever, and you get the text output later. Um, but what if you could pass the text input from one frame to another frame, which is a very simple example. Like you can do this with code today already, but you can't do that with the studio. Um, so that example, the, the reason I bring it up is when you can pass text, not only can you pass text in a conceptual world, you can do any computation in the background. Like you can take something in and you, between from going from one page in the frame to another page in the frame, you can hit a frame server and like do arbitrary computation and come back to the next page. And that today takes like a lot of work to like set up the whole frame and then do the computation. Or if you're in a no code studio, you can't do it all. And one of the things I'm excited about is where you can set up a simple frame, no code, and then you can point to an arbitrary computation that you did set up with code on your server. And now you can make frames that are like of arbitrary complexity, essentially. And um, that can take you down like deep rabbit holes and do very interesting things. Um, I think we'll hopefully see that way shorter than six months. So I'm not actually answering your six month question, but I am very excited about that um, over the next couple of months. Yeah, and six months was definitely very arbitrary too. I mean, it's really hard to like calculate how far to look in this space. Because I mean, you you see something like what Frames did on the yeah. podcast ecosystem into Nanar too. Uh, it just accelerated that so rapidly 
Uh, who knows what the next um, thing that's going to pop up in Farcaster and that Nainar will support. Um, you know, so we're we're kind of reaching the top of the hour. So I want to make sure if there's anything that we didn't talk about that you think is like super important to mention about like what you're doing at Nainar. Um, let's discuss that now. Like, have we missed any really important subjects or topics about Nainar so far? Um, it's a good question. I mean, honestly, I'm still learning about how to talk about my own company because <laughs> things change and um, we, we are still still figuring out who we are in the grand scheme of things. But I think um, one of the things that I don't know if, if we've missed talking about it, so you should stop me um, as I'm going through. But one of my personal learnings in, in building this company is that the company is just like what, what we see of Nainar is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, all, most of the work is actually underneath the water. Um, like today, anybody, for example, can run a hub or replicator. And we have had many customers um, who were running their hub or replicator themselves or actually tried Nainar, went back to running their hub and then came back to Nainar because running infrastructure over a sustained period of time is non-trivial, um, especially as the network is growing and scaling. So a lot of our work under the water is just making sure that the infrastructure scales with the network, that the hubs don't go down, that replicators don't go down, that the right data comes in at the right time, latencies are low. Um, and these are not like, you know, sexy things to talk about. Um, these are not new features we are launching all the time. This is just like a dogged slog that you're just putting in to make sure everything works where you can support hundreds of developers and companies. Um, and, you know, any infrastructure company knows this already. So um, what I'm saying is boilerplate, um, but it was a key learning for me. And we spend a lot of time doing this work when building Nadar. Um, and we are looking to learn. Like, I think there's a lot of good infrastructure DevOps people. Um, some of them actually are customers and they have come in and offered help. And we are very grateful for that. Um, so we are both looking to learn. We are looking to hire good people. So if you're listening to this and you're, and you're like a senior experienced staff engineer based in the US and you're looking to join an exciting project, hit me up. Um, and yeah, I think it's going to be exciting. Yeah, it's good. I mean, I can give you a bit of alpha, like in terms of like how I want to use Frame Studio. So I'm building a platform that accelerates retroactive rewards using mm -hmm. loyalty data, right? So long, long way of saying loyalty protocol. Um, hugely interested in sourcing social data from Farcaster using mm -hmm. Nainar. So we have a subscription. I have a subscription. Um, and I'm using it to source that data, that social data from, from Farcaster. I want to easily be able to create a frame uh, in the studio where I can, uh, first of all, tell a good story, which I think that the Frame Studio does really, really well right now. Uh, Ted was a perfect example of that. I really uh, love um, you know, that frame that was published. I think it was last week. Mm -hmm. um, or actually earlier this week. Anywho, um, and I want to be able to guide people to uh, basically claim a reward uh, initially in NFT yeah. based on a set of interactions that they've uh, done in the past. Um, yeah. It could be, you know, permissioned by FID. Uh, it could be permissioned by activity badge. It can be permissioned by channel usage, which I think is uh, definitely one of the faster yeah. uh, accelerating, uh, you know, things that have have helped Farcaster. Um, it could be based on, you know, reputation, meaning how 
much are people liking the things that you're sharing, uh, the impact that it's made, uh, and doing that all of that through a frame studio. Uh, in the future, uh, doing uh, also remunerating people using some uh, fungible tokens too. So th th those are some of the experiments that I'm yeah. running currently on Farcaster and using Nanar for. Uh, and I'd love to be able to do it just using Studio because personally, I'm more of a no-code programmer. Uh, my team yeah. uh, that sits with me, they're definitely the ones that are able to code a lot better than I can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we expect to provide all of these services over time. I'll actually call out some other people who might be doing something similar to what you're looking for. Um, it's interesting being an infrastructure provider because um, there are quite a few different frame builders out there today, and most of them use Nanar in the back. So one of the interesting things about Nanar is that even though we build our own frame studio, you can use us to build your frame studio. And we are in the same space, and obviously we like we actually pay a lot of attention to make sure we are serving that traffic. In some cases, even before we are serving our own traffic, because like our developers are the customers we started with. Um, and so uh, I think there's a studio called Glass. I mean, they don't call it a studio; we call it a studio. But uh, Glass allows like gated frames. I think Sean uh, from Coinbase launched FrameBuilder.xyz a, a day or two ago that allows like some complex frame building. Um, and they are our customers and they, they are building frame builders. So I encourage everybody to try them and give them feedback, give me feedback if there's something we can improve for them. Um, but yeah, I think all of these cases will improve over time. Oh, I love that. See, to me, that's also one of the things that's super exciting about being in this space. Uh, and by that, I mean like being in Farcaster, working with products like Nanar. Um, that it is all supportive of one another, right? We're building the stack, um, kind of leveraging each other's tools. And I think that that is obviously one of the superpowers of Web3. But personally, I've, I've seen that just develop so nicely uh, in the Farcaster ecosystem. Um, well, I guess the last thing I can ask here is like, you know, are you going to be at ETH Denver? Is anybody from Nainar going to be there? Are we going to be able to hang out and chat? I am going to be there for just the weekend, so second and third uh, of March. Um, and I'm actually part of a panel on the second, uh, which is about Farcaster fever. And uh, David Forlong from Frame.js, um, I think somebody from Coinbase, I'm, I apologize, I'm, I'm forgetting all the names of the panel speakers, um, but there's like four or five uh, speakers on the panel uh, on the second, and so I'll get there the night of the first. Um, and yeah, I'll be there over the weekend. So if you or parts of your team or anybody listening to this is out there, yeah, feel free to hit me up. Oh, I'd love it. Make sure you uh, share that link with me so we can share it on the you know final copy of this that goes out. That's going to go out on Friday of yeah. this week. Um, you know, Rish, it's been lovely talking to you. Uh, we've been chatting, I know, on Farcaster uh, before. Uh, it's been just really great to get to know you a little bit better and just kind of hear... Yeah. Your excitement, obviously, for the work that you do, but also for Nainar and the work that's being done over there. Thank you. Thanks, Omti. Cool. Appreciate you having me. All right. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>